Hello, and thank you for joining us on It Is Written Canada. Imagine spending 25 years locked in solitary confinement, and your prison is a mental cell of anger and rage with guilt and shame acting as your guards. Guilt keeps reminding you that you have done wrong, and shame labels you and says that you are wrong. Our guest on It Is Written Canada today is Daniel Cullen. For 25 years, this was his experience. Daniel felt like he was just a statistic, a number on a piece of paper, a homeless man. For 25 years, Daniel Cullen was living on the cold streets of every major city across Canada. And Daniel is here to tell us how he turned his life around from being an addict, slowly coming apart mentally and emotionally, using drugs to numb the pain. But what fascinates me about Daniel's story is that he did more than just recover. He is now thriving and for the last 20 years, he has been helping others to recover from lives of homelessness and addictions. Daniel Cullen to It Is Written Canada. Thanks, Mike. It's good to be here. Renee, it's good to be here. I'm, I'm really fascinated by your story. It's an amazing story. Mm -hmm. And I know that our, our viewers will be amazed as they listen to it as well. Mm -hmm. um, I want to go back to your childhood. Mm -hmm. My father was a radio broadcaster, radio personality in the community. My mother was a real estate agent, and she was good in the community. And two of my brothers and sisters that were still at home uh, were with me and they were we were all in school together and they were doing good and um, yeah I, I had a good home buy a five bedroom home in a nice neighborhood in Kelowna BC and Daniel from an early age you had an experience with the Bible mm. and with Christianity mm -hmm. and they acted as a compass to guide you and to lead you especially when things started to fall apart in your life can you tell us what happened yeah I'll never forget Aubrey you know um, <clears throat> my parents wanted me, to, like I was rambunctious, so my parents were always trying to get me into things to keep me uh, going and busy because I had so much energy. And so I was a candy striper, a healthcare cadet working in a hospital, and my job was to go in every once a week and to visit with the patients in the long-term extended care and, and keep them company. One of them there, his name was Aubrey. I used to feed him on a regular basis, six foot something this guy was. He was a huge man, but muscular dystrophy whittled him into a chair. And he, uh, he used to tell me that he, he was a different man before he got struck down by muscular dystrophy. 
And he talked about a face that he found. Uh, he finally said, are you born again? Are you born again? Are you born again? I had no idea what he's talking about. So I said, mm -hmm. yes. So he'd leave me alone. Mm -hmm. And he said, well, then, how do you spell your last name? And I told him how to spell my last name, C-U-L-L-E-N. And then he said, okay, thank you. And that was it. And the next week I come back to feed him. He said, after we're done, when you've got time, come and see me. And I came and saw him, and he handed me a box about this big, hard cardboard. I opened it up, and there was a blue Bible, King James, leather-bound Bible with my name in Boston and Daniel Cullen. Wow. And he gave me my first Bible, and that was a book that's been with me for 43 years now. How old were you at the time when you were volunteering at the 15. hospital? Fifteen. Yeah, wow. yeah. So you're coming from a good home. Yeah. You're volunteering. You're having Christian input. Mm -hmm. That seems so ideal, mm -hmm. like an idyllic environment. What went wrong? How did you end up on the streets? How did you end up in addictions? Uh, I was the one that wasn't, didn't fit in. I didn't find good friends. I just, I was low self-esteem, no self-worth, no self-awareness. Mm -hmm. I had a friend brought me home one time and he showed me his father's collection. His father had a gun. And so when his, my friend went to the washroom that day and uh, I was at his house, his parents were at home, I snuck into the room and stole the gun and stuffed it in my jacket and made a, an excuse that I had to go home and I went home with a stolen gun. Yeah. I went around bragging that, yeah, I got a gun, I got a gun. It didn't take long for the principals to come and check my locker and yeah, I did have a gun. And back in the 70s, taking a gun to school was not a good thing to do. So what did you end up doing? I mean, did your parents find out about this? When I got home, um, everything was good and about a week later, my I walked in the house and there was a cop sitting there and they told me that no you didn't find the gun actually the gun has been stolen and uh, I had a great long lecture and my mom said when your father gets home we're gonna have a very serious talk and so my remedy to that was to run away mm. and and I ran away and I ran up into the hills behind our house but then um, about midnight, it was getting cold, and I was getting hungry, and I'd never run away before. I was 12 maybe, I think, 12 or 13, never run away before. And so I made my way back home, and instead of my parents being really angry at me, they were just grateful to have me home, so mm -hmm. I kind of got away with it. But mm -hmm. what that set inside of me was mm -hmm. a pattern that when I couldn't face something or when I was scared, I would run. Mm -hmm. Run and hide, get gone. And that set a pattern for me for my years on the streets. Mm -hmm. So you, you developed this pattern of running away whenever you got into trouble yeah. at times, so you kept on getting into trouble. Mm -hmm. um, how did that lead you to get onto the streets? <clears throat> when I was about 14, um, the guy introduced me to what, what is LSD. I don't even know what the technical name for it, but back then we called it acid. And I did like five hits. My, I'd never done drugs before. Mm -hmm. I said, have these, and I did five hits. And then I smoked a quarter ounce of, I think, marijuana. And so it, I was pretty high. And that was my explosion into my drug addiction on the streets. Mm -hmm. And so I couldn't handle things. I'd run away. I'd get into trouble because I didn't like myself. And when I ran away, I'd end up doing drugs. And when I'd end up doing drugs, I'd get fed up. And then uh, it just turned into a cycle. So I ran away so many times that when my parents caught up to me at the last time, shorten the story, I'll just bring it to that point. When they, they caught me, caught up with me the last time I ran away, I was in Calgary. I started, left from Kelowna and they caught up with me in Calgary. 
and my father said out of just he did all that he could do and he he had to let me go I was 16 and he said if you want to be on your own good luck he shook my hand and he said good luck and that was the beginning of my life and so I hitchhiked across Canada Mm -hmm. The first time to Quebec. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then I got tired of Quebec and I hitchhiked back and that's when trouble started. Mm. Mm. And that's trouble, what did that look like? Mm. One in three runaway children, teenagers approximately on the street, male and female, are sexually exploited and raped. The first person uh, brought me down to Abbotsford. He said, you know, it's a cold night. Come on down to Abbotsford. You can head out in the morning. I'll give you a good place to sleep and a meal. And I didn't have any idea about nothing. I was wet behind the ears. <clears throat> he said, here, have some wine. And he said, here, smoke this. It was marijuana. And he, I felt like an adult. I can live on my own. I'm on my own now. I'm making my own roots. And he put on a song called Bad Out of Hell from Meatloaf. And that was the first guy to rape me. I got away from that, and that was in Abbotsford, and I got away from that, and I ran up to Grand Prairie, Alberta, and I, I was alone and lonely. There's a difference. Mm -hmm. Aloneness and lonely are not the same thing, and aloneness was following me. Mm -hmm. And aloneness, uh, I wanted back home. I wanted to find my family. I, 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 at that point, I was ready to fix it. I didn't want to do addictions anymore. I'd, I'd tired of it. I'd hitchhiked across Canada. I'd seen enough. I was confused, I was hurt. I'll go to this religious place <clears throat> that cares for the homeless and they'll help me because I remember my Bible, right? And I, was, I had faith that maybe this was the thing to do. <clears throat> and I went there and the, the, the night shift manager of the place told me God brought you here and God's been good to you and God brought you here so you could learn what love was. And he was the second guy. He told me God loved me and raped me. And I got away from that, and I ran away to my hometown, Fort St. John. And again, I'm stupid, young, behind, wet behind the ears, 16 years old. A guy invites me over to a party at his place, and there was only him. And he was the third guy to rape me. And that's when my mind snapped. And that was the beginning of a 25-year experience. And, and after that, you, never, you decided never, ever to go home again, right? <coughs> No, I didn't know how to go home anymore. And it wasn't that I didn't want to go home, it was that, mm -hmm. that I just didn't feel like I belonged at home anymore. Mm -hmm. It was, my parents would have brought me back. I showed up many times. I'd be gone for months and months and months. And then just without calling anybody, I'd just come and knock on the door and walk in the front door. And my dad was such a good man, he had cancer, lots of pain. But when I'd come in the door, he'd jump off the couch mm -hmm. to come and see me. Exactly. So. Exactly. You didn't only sleep on the streets. Uh -uh. What would help you? You would, you would retire into yeah. libraries. <laughs> <laughs> I sat in libraries. And it's cold in the wintertime and it's hot in the summertime, so the best place to sit is in libraries. And I sat in libraries and studied. I, and, and if you don't do something in a library and you go to sleep, in the library they'll kick you out. So I learned to study. I hated school, but I learned to study. I studied philosophy, psychology, sociology, anthropology, metaphysics, occult, and theology. So I built information in my head to stop the noise of, mm. of the guilt and the shame. Mm. I've done wrong, you are wrong. I was an angry person, angry, mm. angry man. Mm. I couldn't even talk without showing anger. Mm. I, my tone, my words, everything, my body language, just anger. Mm. Um, did did uh, Christianity come into your recovery? 
actually what became the answer wasn't Christianity because the people that were telling me Jesus loved me were the people that uh, kicked me out of the shelter because I didn't follow their rules. Mm. So as that homeless man, <clears throat> I didn't fit into their mold of how I should behave. So I finally said, um, give me a chance to talk to the, everybody. I got the manager, the executive director, and we all had a conversation. And I said to him, does your Bible say that if a man sins against you 70 times seven in one day, you're supposed to forgive him? And they couldn't answer that question. I said, give me a chance to prove to you that I'm sorry. And I'll prove to you that I'm sorry. And they gave me one chance. I wasn't trying to be a Christian. But when I put the principles of Scripture into practice to show these people to be hypocrites, my mind got clear. My mind came back, and I went, what? And the only thing I could conclude was it was me implementing the principles of Scripture that gave me the ability to find the clarity, to find the strength to begin the real change in my life. So it was the Word of God that, that gave me back, that started my journey back. And, and it's my faith in Christ, of course, that carries me through. But it was using the principles from Scripture, the divine Word of God. When I got that book and, and I applied the principles, boom, got my mind back and then began the whole new transformation. I want you to talk about that model that you used, mm -hmm. that, that you came to. Yeah. Um, but before we do that, I want us to listen to a song. Yeah. And this is sung by some students mm -hmm. up in the mountains of British Columbia. It's called, I Know Whom I Have Believed. I know not why God's wondrous grace to me hath made known, nor why unworthy Christ in love redeemed me for His own. But I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that He is able to keep that which I've committed unto Him. Against the day, 
Those students are so brave to be outside singing on a cold winter's day with snow on the ground up in the mountains of British Columbia. The words of their song that really spoke to me are these. I know not how the spirit moves, convincing men of sin, revealing Jesus through the word, creating faith in him. So Daniel, you started reading the Bible Mm -hmm. and that was a transformational experience for you. You had received the Bible from Aubrey when you were younger, but now you're looking at it with new eyes. Mm. You're in a, in a position where you're just like, I need healing because mm -hmm. nothing else is working. Mm. So what kind of model did you come up with? What did God show you? You know, my, my, I got all my psychiatric records given, gotten for me. I, all of them, I stock them like this, of all the years that I'd spent in the psychiatric wards. And I read the psychiatric reports. I read everything they wrote about me, the nurses' notes, the doctor's notes, the good stuff, the bad stuff, how they... <clears throat> I counted the mental disorders they gave me, and they gave me 22 of them. Mm. Different, different times, they couldn't figure them out. I was on 18 psychotropic pills a day. Mm. Uh, on the DSM-4, they have a, 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 a thing called access, the fifth access, and it's the access they use for socialization and working in a community. What's your mental well-being for that? And mine and that access was long-term institutionalization. It doesn't look like they'll ever stop being a transient homeless man. So they had written me off, and I'm already written off because I'm living in a long-term care group home because I didn't have the ability to care for myself. So I picked up the Bible that I've always had with me for all those years. And I started to look for solutions, and I realized that, like, like I said, uh, I realized that something had to change and nothing was working for me. They'd written me off, and my only solution was to come up with something. So I said a prayer, I suppose I did. I mean, I did a lot of thinking, and I know there were some prayers in there. I used to sing a song, pour your healing oil through me just to myself. And that kind of stirred up my faith, right? Mm. And by stirring up my faith, the scriptures started to come alive a, a bit. And so I realized that if I took the word of God at what it was, I could do it again. So John 3, 7, right? It said, you must be born, born again. again. And I said, wait a minute. Now, I'd studied psychology enough to know that when a child is born, they're born with nothing more than a few imprints that come from birth and some genetic things. Everything else they learn, they learn by experience. And from experience after experience, when a child, you know, is growing up, they learn by crying at a certain time, in a certain way, they get a certain thing, so they start to create memories. Mm -hmm. And those memories lead to their emotions. If the experiences are good, because the, uh, the experience has been good, the memory is good, the emotions will be a positive response. If not, it'll all be negative, right? Mm -hmm. It's just destructive. And so people think and feel based on those things. So when I said you must be born again, or the scripture said, if it, born again, I mean, I can build this all over again, I can start again, if I give myself a reference point. So December had rolled around and I'd done all the evaluations and looked at myself, I was in a rough shape. Uh, I went out in the snow of Lake Simcoe on the frozen lake at about 11.30, sat down and waited for 12.01 to roll around when New Year's Eve 2000, new millennium, it'll never happen in my life again, it could be a marked reference point for me. 
And that's when I put myself foot forward and I said, I'm no longer gonna be a statistic. I used to feel bad about not measuring up to my sisters. She's been very good at what she does. She's very successful at what she was. And I always lived in her shadow. And I was, she was I, your twin sister? My twin sister, mm -hmm. right. And she's a great girl. She, I love her with all my heart, right. But I always tried to measure up to what I thought her quality was, and I never felt accepted by my quality. Mm -hmm. But I decided now I was going to go back to factory reboot. I was going to start all over again and rebuild me. And that's what I started. And I built the model that says, if I create a vision of who I am, then I fill myself with the knowledge I need to learn to fulfill that vision that I held clearly with, with myself. And that switched my emotional lifestyle of being emotional and acting emotional to be driven by a passion. Mm. And a passion is different than an emotion because a passion burns low and it goes. Emotions are erratic and all over the place. Passion burns all yeah. the time. It's a low burning ember. Yeah. That's right. And uh, in fact, that is the last literal meaning of the word passion, right? And uh, it just switched my pattern and I set my goals on new things and I set my objective on new things and I decided I was no longer gonna be a statistic. I was going to make a change, and that started in January 1st, 2000, and it hasn't stopped. Wow. Praise God. Yeah. And so, Daniel, Jesus mm -hmm. set you free. Without a shadow of a doubt. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. you were set free from alcohol, from street drugs, yeah. antidepressants, mm -hmm. anti-anxiety, mm -hmm. and so many other medications, mm -hmm. right? Set free from that. So, what motivated you to keep on going? At first, I wanted to make a change. I wanted my mom to be proud of me. So I pushed and I pushed and I pushed so that, that, that before she died, she would see that I'd made a change. I was supposed to appear before a parliamentary standing committee to talk about par on poverty and homelessness. The day my, they buried my mother, I was at that committee, speaking at that committee, because. I had destroyed my family relations to such a point that it would be best that I didn't go home. So I didn't go home, but I gave honor to my mother by speaking at Parliament Hill on the issues of poverty and homelessness, which was my goal. And then my reputation ran in front of me. I started working with the nurses at York University as a preceptor, using my voice of lived experience and the lived experience to demystify poverty and homelessness and then I got, it goes on, I, I put over 200 students through placement, uh, nurse, about 100 nurses at least through placement and I teach about what it means to be poor and how to adjust and treat the poor differently. Mm -hmm. uh, the GAP committee is a committee I run in Durham Region with Mayor Dan Carter, uh, 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 Councillor Rick Kerr, I am the uh, assistant director to Ann at the Thompson at New Life Neighborhood Food Bank and uh, my job is community engagement. We've got the SLIP program going there which is a true potential program and it talks about identifying the real you and once you find the real you, you won't sell yourself short. So we have students running for that self-empowerment livelihood improvement project, phenomenal program, watching the results take place. And, 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 and people's lives coming alive because they're seeing themselves in a true value and they're not accepting anybody's opinion of themselves. They found their own true worth and we move forward with them from there. I have enough success in front of me now to mitigate all the failures behind me. I've just switched the, switched the game plan. And the Lord has just uh, miraculous. If it wasn't for the Lord who was on my side, where would I be?
Mm. Can you share with us just a, a couple of words mm. of encouragement? Someone mm. may be watching and feeling really maybe discouraged mm -hmm. at this point, and they're listening to your story. Um, anything from the Bible, mm. something that, that you would like to say to them? Psalms 46, I think. It says, when my heart is overwhelmed, lead me to a rock that is higher than I you come into a situation that you can't understand, you can't figure out what's going on, where am I going to go, depression's got ahead of me, the bill's got ahead of me, nobody likes me, I, I don't feel self-worth. When my heart is overwhelmed, you ask, leave me, and he will. Bring you to a place that only you and him understand. And it happens. Can you have a word of prayer yeah. for us, Daniel, in closing? Father, when we come against struggles that we don't understand, when we've been written off, when we don't feel the value of life, when life just doesn't make sense. We can come to you with our hearts open wide, as broken as it is, and you will atone, you will redeem, you will justify, you will sanctify with a simple act of faith that says, Lord, I believe. Help me, lead me to a rock that is higher than I. Whoever hears this program, whoever watches this program, understand that you, O oh Lord, are the greatness and the goodness and the quality in our lives and that you will lead us and guide us and keep us in our ways. So God, for those who are overwhelmed, for those who are blessed, God, and have felt the glory of your presence, I pray that you would continue to move them forward and they would understand that they alone cannot do it. You are the Redeemer and Savior and confidant that walks with us. I know whom I have believed in. Lord, help others to know whom you are, that they can believe in you also. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You know, while I was listening to Daniel's story about how he received that blue leather-bound Bible from Aubrey, I was reminded of how I too received a Bible from a friend who gave me this exact Bible and he told me that if I read a chapter a day that this book would completely change my life. I was a teenager at that time and he was completely right. It was the right book at the right time. And that's the title of our free offer today, The Right Book at the Right Time. This little booklet is completely free of charge to you. So get your smartphone ready or a pen and paper to take down the details of how you can get this free offer, the right book at the right time. Friends, we would also like to invite you to follow us on Instagram and Facebook and subscribe to our YouTube channel and also listen to our podcasts. And if you go to our webpage, you can see our latest programs, including our exercise workouts and healthy eating videos called Experiencing Life and our short spiritual messages entitled Daily Living. They are all there free for you to watch whenever you choose because we want you to experience the truth that is found in the words of Jesus when he said, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, 
but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Thank you so much for listening. If you would like to watch a video of this podcast, please visit iiw.ca. Or you can go to IIW Canada YouTube and click on the videos tab. Once again, thank you so much for listening. Thank you.